a U.S. senator visits the test track, we ask whether small SUVs are really just hatchbacks in disguise, are pickup trucks appealing more to women, and we answer viewer questions next on Talking Cars. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode. I'm Mike Monticello. I'm Jennifer Stockberger. And I'm Jake Fisher. Now, we've got a lot of stuff to get to today. I've got a ton of notes, so let's get right to it. Uh, now, for those of you that don't know, the Auto Test Center is located uh, in Connecticut. And yesterday, we got a very special visit from uh, United States Senator Richard Blumenthal, also of Connecticut. And so, uh, Jen, I was wanted you to kind of start it off by telling us how this visit came about and uh, what he was looking to get out of it and what we were looking to get out of this visit. Yeah, so so obviously, you know, he's our senior senator from Connecticut and he's been here before on other automotive issues. This particular visit was in conjunction with a piece of legislation that's currently in the U.S. Senate called the AV Start Act. And start means something in its safer transportation through the advancement of revolutionary technologies. Oh, I thought well, it was a little see, bit of a mouthful. I thought it was autonomous vehicles getting started. I thought that's what the start was. And it is, yeah. and it is. So the revolutionary technology is the semi-autonomous and the building blocks of these autonomous self-driving cars. And we're all about the safety benefits of the technologies. The advancement part is where we have some concerns at Consumer Reports in that it's moving too quickly, putting too many cars on the roads that are bypassing some of the safety standards. So they're looking to kind of fast track it, but without all the safety regs underneath. So this was an opportunity with the senator for us to demonstrate what's currently on the market some of the semi-autonomous driving features um, and see and show him where the concerns are in handing over to a driver, where they're not, they're not able to functional, if there's not line markings or things like that. So we did some demos and Jake did some demos with them. Yeah, so. do you want to talk about the demos that you uh, took the senator through? Okay. Sure, yeah. Um, so we, we took them through, we took them on the track and we were just really showing them showing him what these systems are capable of and what they're not capable of. Um, so clearly we don't have any uh, really autonomous vehicles. I mean, they don't really exist and they're certainly not marketed right now. So we have some of these vehicles that have some features that are semi-autonomous and we demonstrated that. So what cars were you driving? Um, we, we, we drove the Tesla Model 3 out in the track. Um, you know, it showed it, it's very good at, you know, holding in, in its lane, but um, we demonstrated, so if a car's parked there and you're cruising along at 60 miles per hour, it's not necessarily going to stop uh, at, a, at a stopped vehicle um, when you get to the end of the track. Um, it's not going to realize you're at the end of the track and you're going into the, the woods. So it's, you know, it, it, there's, there's it, the point is, is that you need to keep engaged in these types of systems, right? You have to pay attention to where you're going. You have to keep your hands on the wheel for, for most of these systems. And, um, you know, if you don't do that, and if you do use these systems how you should not, um, and you're distracted, um, something can happen like that. Um, we also took them out on the Cadillac CT6 with Super Cruise, showing them another technology which actually has the driver monitoring system, so a camera that's looking at the driver, making sure someone actually looks where they're going. And, and in that case, you actually went out on real roads. We weren't just in the, the test center, right? You went out on Right, right. And it's another interesting highway. piece of that, too, is that even if they have semi-autonomous technologies, uh, we prefer the way Cadillac has implemented it and said, well, it's really only safe on highways, so we're not going to make it available on secondary roads. Um, whereas Tesla has, you know, even on our track here with some lines, it's like, 
sure. You know, it may not right. be the really safest place to use it on a back road, but it is available to the right. to the user. So, what was his takeaway? What what could you tell was his takeaway, and what things did he learn from you, maybe, as you were explaining these systems to him? Well, I mean, one of the things that he he learned is, you know, really what the capability is and what it's not. So, I think it was kind of loud and clear that even these. These systems, they call level two autonomy systems. I mean, they're not that capable. Um, they could do some things well, but you really have to stay engaged. So he's actually looking at taking this legislation and having it affect the cars that are on the road right now. Right, which the level twos that Jake's talking about <clears throat> aren't in the AV Stardack. Right, and, right. and one of the things we're saying is they should be. Right. So the current right. vehicles yeah, should be included. So for those of you that don't know, the AV Start Act is in the Senate, but right. the House already passed. Uh, right, they had a, a version a, of it, right? Yeah, they, they passed a bill that was called the Self Drive Act last year. Mm -hmm. And uh, Senator Blumenthal, Dianne Feinstein of California, and Edward Markey of Massachusetts are currently holding up right. the, the uh, our Tesla's going off again, <laughs> um, are currently holding up the Senate bill uh, until they get uh, some amendments about safety in there. Right. You know, the automakers are saying this will allow the technology to move more quickly. Uh, Jake, where do you, where do you, what do you think about this? Is that, where are you with that? Well, I mean, safety needs to be number one priority right. and, and, and for, for, for multiple reasons. One, obviously, we don't want anyone to get hurt. But the other piece of it is if people do get hurt, it could actually slow down this technology. So really, if we want this to develop and we want right. to create new things that are going to make people safer, you got to do it in a safe way. And we do see the benefits right. done in a safe manner. Exactly. I think he had a good quote at the, to, you know, kind of right. It shouldn't be a race to be first. It yeah. should be a race to be best and safest. Yeah. And we yeah. interviewed him, the editorial team interviewed yeah. him later on. And the, I think one of the best quotes, uh, and maybe he learned this yesterday, was he said he feels the most dangerous moment is when the human has to take back over. Either you need to be fully involved or not at all. I don't know if that was his position before, but I know that's something you preach, so maybe that came from you, Jake. I don't know. I think we gave him some good things to potentially include in the bill if right. they amend it. Driver engagement, level two, et cetera, which right. are things we've been asking for. So it was a good, yeah. good visit, I think. Uh, now, on this past Monday... Uh, EPA Administrator Scott Pruitt yeah. made a uh, declaration that he's going to be, he plans to lower the future fuel economy uh, targets for cars and trucks and light trucks in the U.S. Mm -hmm. And he said the Obama administration made assumptions about the standards that didn't comport with reality and set the standards too high. Now, on the surface, Jake, I mean, to me, this seems like this would maybe be a good move for the auto manufacturers, but bad for consumers and the environment. Uh, what do you take from where he's trying to go with this? And what do you think the auto manufacturers are going to think about this? Well, and the consumers. How does this affect the consumers? Well, I was, I was, I was surprised that our, um, our government section of the, uh, the podcast is going this long. This is important stuff for consumers. So, so um, here's the interesting thing about it is that, you know, we're really, we're monitoring the cars in our test. And we just, on the, on the, in April, we, we had a whole story about, um, you know, looking at what cars have actually accomplished. And the truth is, is that in the last 15 years, fuel economy has really improved quite a lot while acceleration has improved, while comfort and convenience has improved, while the cars have gotten larger. So, so a lot of this kind of, we heard the sky is falling stuff before and, you know, and the cars haven't gotten more expensive. So the truth is that there is that capability. Now going forward, um, it's unclear, and and there's been reports from a lot, a lot of automakers who don't want to put that, roll back those those uh, 
those standards. And even um, there's been some reports of suppliers saying right. we don't want to send this back because actually there's a lot of development of technology that can drive jobs. Right. I mean, if you look at the suppliers to the auto industry to create, you know, cars with better fuel efficiency. You look at all the stuff that we're seeing. I mean, the, you know, aluminum, you know, advanced materials in cars, um, you know, more advanced transmissions. Yeah, dual clutch transmissions, continuously variable transmissions, eight, nine, 10 speed transmissions. Right. And not to say that they're small, small displacement turbos. Right. And not to say that they're perfect. And we, there's, we've, we've, we've cited some reliability but they've issues. They've invested from a lot of money in they've those things. They've invested a lot of money. You don't want to just throw those away. Already. Yeah. Yeah. And they're getting to figure out how to make these things reliable and more robust. So, so you, you suddenly, exactly right. You know, you've invested all this money in this technology to get these fuel, this fuel economy. And then suddenly, uh, you don't need yeah. it anymore. There's a problem. My concern is, and again, this is future. They're talking 2022 to 2025. Right. So right. it's not an immediate change that we're going to see. Wait, because the manufacturers, are, those the cars are already in place. Right. So that's where the, they're already working on 2022, right. but and probably 2025. But my concern is when you take away that driving force. Will they continue to make those investments if they don't have to? And, and we've seen such benefits, to Jake's point, already because they were striving for those goals right. that they thought were in place. Well, if you take those away. Now, we, Consumer Reports, continues to award fuel economy right. highly in our own ratings, and we'll continue to well, do and, that. And but that's a big reward it, too, because they're right. shopping for these right. things. Right, and, and we wrote a story about this article uh, just, just a right. couple days ago. And... We said that, you know, uh, if these continued fuel economy improvements happen the way they're planned. Right, the way they work. Right now, uh, 2025 <laughs> would yield savings of about $3,200 per car and $4,800 per truck or SUV over the life of that vehicle, even with the added cost of the new technologies. To your point, right. Jake, where you said the, car, the, the vehicles haven't really gotten that much more expensive when you account for inflation. Now, oddly, right. that's one of the things, reasons they said that they didn't that they were rolling them back is that it was high consumer cost. We haven't really seen it in the cost of the, the vehicles. Opposite. You know, right now, we may not be seeing it with gas, you know, at reasonable prices, but boy, we'd be more interested in this, I think, if gas were $4, $4 a gallon. Yeah, sure. And the other piece that we didn't talk about so much and not getting is that it also includes greenhouse gas emissions. That's part of the package as well, is they're saying they're gonna roll back those standards as well. well so it's a clean air and a fuel economy piece to it as well. And look, consumers are buying these cars. Uh, and and they, benefiting and, and already. And they, I think, uh, hopefully a lot of them know that this is helping the environment when you're driving a cleaner, uh, right. you know, more fuel conscious right. car. And, and, and so you're saving the planet by, by yeah. you know, everyone's, the manufacturers and uh, the consumers are all <clears throat> benefiting the planet this way. Yeah. It, and it's not killing performance vehicles. Right. Right. None right. of this stuff is happening. Right. I mean, they're, they're still building the fastest, most powerful yeah. cars that we ever could imagine. Right. And most fuel efficient. Well, speaking right. of, yeah. uh, you know, performance vehicles, uh, we've got uh, uh, the three most recent uh, test car purchases right. at the track are um, the BMW X2, the Jaguar E-Pace and the Volvo XC40, and they are all part of this kind of uh, ever-growing entry-level luxury SUV segment that also includes uh, the Audi Q3, BMW X1, Buick Encore, Infiniti QX30, Mercedes-Benz GLA Mini Countryman. Jake, I mean, are these things uh, the new hatchback? And do people really are they going to pay forty to fifty thousand dollars? For the new hatchback, because that's what that's what yeah. these cost. They're, they're you know yeah. when you they're the ones you're going to find on yeah. the on the dealer floor 
are forty to fifty thousand dollars. I'm I'm still stuck on your performance segue there because uh, <laughs> these are these are performance cars. These are hatchbacks. You know, it's, yeah. it's very interesting that. You know, as, as, as a market, the U.S. market really has kind of said, no, we don't want little hatchbacks and, you know, Dodge Omnis and all those things aren't right. cool. Dodge Omni. <laughs> He's really wow. going way back. Back in my day, we had a Plymouth Horizon. That's not what I was expecting. <clears throat> but it's really, I mean, you know, there's nothing cool about a hatchback, but, but suddenly they've reinvented the hatchback as a luxury small SUV. And these things are just kind of elevated hatchbacks with big wheels and some leather in them. And they're able to sell them at these prices. And even beyond just the luxury vehicles, I mean, we just did, um, we're testing the uh, Ford EcoSport, <clears throat> which, which I mean, this is really a, <laughs> thank yeah. you, thank you for that. But it's, it's, I mean, it's it's like a Ford uh, Fiesta. Fiesta. A, a, a raised Fiesta. It's a raised Fiesta. I mean, this is like a tiny little car, and it's that, expensive. And we paid twenty eight thousand dollars for this thing. I mean, sure, it's got all, you know all wheel drive. It's like here you go. You want a luxury car? You want an SUV? It's like these are little hatchbacks. Right. So, go ahead. I was just gonna say, I almost get the end, getting into the luxury brand though. I, I can get that I can afford this BMW or I can afford this Infiniti. I right. get that. Okay, getting into the no 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 the only one I can I can't afford an X5 but boy right. I can't afford an X2 type of thing right. I get that I less get the Echo Sport for that price like there's so much better yeah I'm with you but yeah. for me it's it's kind of like mm -hmm. I'm looking at these and I'm, I'm you know compared the sizes versus right, yeah. a compact SUV right. and the, actually the wheelbases interestingly are very similar between we're talking like you know Subaru Forester, right. Honda CRV, RAV4, Mazda CX-5. The wheelbases between all of these and the entry-level luxury SUVs are very similar, right. but the entry-level luxury SUVs are actually uh, several inches shorter. So you're getting in a sense less car for the money. They yeah. have more power, but the compact SUVs cost a lot less. Yeah. And if it were my money, I'd rather smack my mic there. Uh, <laughs> If, it, my if mic. it were, we all picked up on that. If it were, were my money, I, I'd rather go with a, like a Mazda CX-5, which well, drives uh, more cl pretty close to a lot of these much uh, more luxury roomy. SUVs. More roomy, yeah. costs a lot less, yeah. doesn't have as much power, but it, but it, it still drives, handles really well. It drives you know, better. So I, I, just, I mean, it drives I don't really nice. No, and, and that's <clears throat> that's advice that we would get. It's, yeah. it's, but it's not a BMW. It's image. It's not, yeah. We don't it's actually, image. Uh, yeah. you know, have an yeah. image uh, score that we add to the cars. Right. Right. That's my point. Yeah. Yep. Miss Moneybags. Yes. Uh, so uh, you know me. Yeah. Let's get to some viewer questions. Uh, now, for those of you that watched last, last week's episode, we were live. Did a live taping from the New York Auto Show, and we had a really good. We invited uh, viewers to come out and be in an yep. audience, and it went really well. We. Uh, Really enjoyed the interaction. Uh, they asked some unscripted questions of you and John Linkove and Mike Quincy, and yeah. you guys did a great job answering them. Yeah. And actually, I think maybe the most gratifying thing to me was after the podcast was over, so many people stuck around and uh, talked to the gang yeah. and asked us questions. I think we were there and, for a good uh, hour. Exactly. Uh, told us their own story and gave us some really good feedback. Yeah. And uh, a mm -hmm. young lady that I was talking to gave me some feedback. She said, well, you know, you guys ask us to give these 30 second video questions mm -hmm. and then she's like, I never see them. So what do you do with them? <laughs> and a little points off for her, she missed an episode or two because we have shown we have a some, couple, yeah. not many. But part of the problem is we haven't gotten a ton of really good ones yet. Mm -hmm. So we're looking for more. On that note, yeah, on that note, we got a pretty good one yesterday. I think it was yesterday, right? Yeah, late yesterday. Okay, so yeah. it was yesterday. Um, and so we're going to play that for you now and we're going to try and answer this question. Hi, Talking Cars. This is Mike, and I'm Leighton, and we have a question. 
Um, we are moving back to the U.S. in June 2018 for the first time after being away for almost 10 years. Mm -hmm. And we're planning to do a two to three month road trip starting in Seattle, driving the long way around to Chicago. Mm -hmm. So we have a maximum budget of about $14,000. Um, we've looked at some Civics and Corollas in the mid 2010s. Um, also some new Elantras. We're just looking for like reliable modern cars. So we're looking for something obviously with good gas mileage that's comfortable, but when we get to Chicago, we might sell the vehicle and we're looking for something that has a good resale value as well. So give us your advice. What do you think? What should we buy? Thank you for your help. Thanks. Okay, so these guys are looking for a reliable modern car with good gas mileage uh, and it's comfortable for me, and, but they also want to sell it at the end, you know, All at right. the end of their trip. So for me, that immediately takes out new because you're going to lose so much resale, uh, you know, as soon as you buy the car. And they're talking 14 grand. Yeah, they, they had a price yeah. point. Yeah, what are you going to so, yeah. buy 14 grand? Right. So, I mean, if it were me, uh, you know, I would probably say because you're doing a road trip, maybe mm -hmm. you actually want something a little bigger than a sedan that they were talking about, maybe something more like a, a wagon or a small SUV. I would say maybe something like a you know a Toyota Venza, you know from like the what, what is it 2010 to 2012 range. Mm -hmm. Although the fuel economy is not great on that thing. Well, that's what I was gonna mm -hmm. say. You definitely you know when you think of a trip, they were talking about road tripping. Yeah. You want some fuel economy in there, and yeah. he I think you know he throws out a Corolla in there. So right. I don't think they're adverse to something smaller. Yeah. So you know we did. But this. I think you might want more space. You know. You what I mean? might because yeah. you, you're going to have luggage. You're going to load apparently. a lot of stuff you're in there. Load if you're, you know, you're never going to pick some stuff up along the way. You know, who knows what you're going to buy. We did right? a neat story just this week. It's it's timely again in that we did best used cars by price point, and we have a ten to fifteen thousand dollar range, and that does include Corolla is one of them. So that was a good good Honda Fit. And I yeah. find that, again, I've said before, deceptively roomy lots car. Lots of space inside. Lots of space inside. Yeah. Might not be bad. That group, that compact has kind of mm -hmm. sacrificed noise and a little bit of ride comfort, which, if you're road tripping, would also be kind of important. But they certainly meet the price point. Honda or Toyota would certainly have resale value. Right. So those. And then Kia Soul, Mazda 3, Prius, they were all Toyota Prius. Well. I mean, what, yeah. 2010 to 2013 Toyota Prius? That accomplishes their fuel mileage. It accomplishes my thing of uh, hatchback with with space, right? Um, and good resale value. And good resale You're value. Both wrong. Oh boy, here um, we go. Set set us right, Jake. Okay. The answer is obvious. A Camry. Yeah. Well, that's a, a 2013. Right she Camry. hadn't gotten there. I interrupted. I know. <laughs> my fault. So you were right. You were just getting there. And I'll tell you why. Because if you're going to spend thousands of miles in a car, right. you don't want to be in a Corolla. You don't want to be in a Fit. You don't even want to be in a Prius. You want something that's quiet and rides nice. Yeah. And if you want to go worry about selling a car, there's no nothing easier to go sell than a Camry. It's right. going to be reliable, less fuel efficient. It's just a no-brainer. That was the next segment. Yeah, great fuel economy. <laughs> Better ride, quieter. Jake is right once again. Um. <laughs> Whatever. And with that, we want to hear from you guys. So send us a 30-second video submission, uh, and maybe we'll play it on the show. You can send it to consumerreports.org slash talking cars, or if you're cool, cr.org slash talking cars. <laughs> uh, now we have another uh, viewer comment, and this person says, Consumer Reports says Cadillac has great vehicles that no one buys, yet they don't recommend a single Cadillac in ratings or reliability and rank Escalade as one of the worst vehicles. Makes sense. I think that was a dig. I don't think the person really meant that. I, it makes I think sense. there was some sarcasm. Yeah, there? a little bit of sarcasm. I, I and this, I think, <clears throat> relates back to something you were talking about yeah. at the New York Auto Show yeah. when we were talking about the Cadillac XT4, and you said Cadillac makes great sedans that no one buys. So we're gonna. This is gonna be a new segment that we're gonna call 
Jake Splainin. So <laughs> tell us why this is. Yeah, I mean, yeah, because reports didn't say that I said that. And I think I've said that before, that you know, I really do like the, the modern Cadillac sedans. They drive great. But um, yeah, this guy's right. Um, he, he's right. So they, why aren't he, they recommended? They, they are yeah. recommended. Um, they make dri great driving vehicles. Um, certainly, they make cars that ride and handle, handle well and are comfortable, but the reliability isn't there to match it. And with the reliability there, we're not recommending cars that are unreliable. And also, there's other things with them, too. Uh, the infotainment systems, Cadillac Q, it's really cumbersome. So, right. As a driver, you As a like driver, them. I like driving. Yeah. And I think uh, that's, those, there's those the road cars, test score, and then there's this It doesn't make it a good car. Right. That's not enough to make it a good car. Right. Yeah, that's it's absolutely true. They I mean, make great driving cars. Something could be really good to drive, <laughs> and it could have bad reliability, and then we can't recommend it. Right. So. so when we right. say stuff wrong, call us out. Yeah. Um, that cool. Won't yes. be the last Jake Splainin, <laughs> or Jen Splainin, or Mike Splainin. Don't give him a bigger head. <laughs> right. Um, okay, so uh, one of the biggest attention grabbers at the New York Auto Show mm -hmm. was this uh, Volkswagen Atlas Tanoke concept pickup truck. Mm -hmm. And we got a comment about that. And, mm -hmm. and this person said, VW, build that truck fast. Looks hella nice. Can we say hella on national television? Okay. You already he did. says we can. Uh, too late. Uh, looks hella nice for an SUV-based pickup. <clears throat> now, VW hasn't committed uh, to building this yet, but they say they're gauging public mm -hmm. interest. And um, one of the, we've read some stories uh, from other publications that are saying, if VW really wants to build this, they should try and market it toward women. And it's, Smart. that's, yeah, that's interesting because we just recently wrote a story uh, you just might have been recently by me. wrote a story. Yeah, uh, take credit someone. where it's due. Yeah. And we said it's called Our Pickup Trucks Becoming the New Family Vehicle. Right. And part of them becoming the new family vehicle is they're also appealing more to women these days. And, you know, we have a figure, uh, the number of women who registered full-size pickups, which is, you know, this is a little right. smaller than Big that, trucks. but full-size pickups has increased 67% from 2008 to 2016. Um, Jen, you're a woman. To be. <laughs> uh, and capable, and you like to do outdoorsy things. Mm -hmm. uh, so, two questions for you: Could marketing toward you work to make you, you know, want to buy a pickup truck? Mm -hmm. And two, what is it about pickup trucks that appeal to you? Because I know I think you do kind of like pickup trucks. I do. So, so let me just start by, believe it or not, women may really need a pickup truck. You know, you think of, I mean, I've, I've said multiple times, I got two horses in the backyard. We have a pickup truck at home. If I was single, I would probably have a pickup truck if I had two horses. You can't just load hay and grain and, and shavings in the back of your SUV, or it's going to be one messy SUV. And I would expand that. You guys have talked about your bikes. Women like mountain biking, I, sports, and I, I even think of the you know, fixer-upper, the Chip and Joanna Gaines. You go to a flea market and you want to bring some old stuff home. You don't necessarily want to load all that in the back of, of an SUV. So there's real need, real utility for women as well as men in getting a pickup truck. Why I think it's a 67% increase is that a lot of the compromises have gone away. Yeah. They ride better. They have better fuel economy. They, they're, they're, quiet. they're versatile in the yeah. cabins. You got yeah. all these flips and the seats move and you can put your storage. We've even said they fit family. You know, you said family. Child seats fit well. Yeah. There's tons of room. So all, a lot of what was a compromise before is not anymore. So you can get your utility that you either need or just want. I do think there's an image that women, you said the word. I like that word capable. 
I think they portray an image when you're a female. We like being up high. We've already established that. That's why we like SUVs. Mm -hmm. yeah, but it makes us feel capable that we don't have to maybe borrow some guy's truck to do the things we want to do. Yeah, I always kind of get a little interested when I see a, a woman driving a pickup truck because I think I just you wonder immediately what she, she's think interesting of, I think, you. Oh, you know, what does she do with that tr truck? Does she have horses? Does she go mountain right. biking? Does she ride motorcycles? What is it that she does that she, you know, has a pickup truck? But it makes her interesting. It does make her interesting to me anyway. Right. Well, I mean, one thing is, I mean, what, what VW is showing is certainly not going to be a pickup truck that's going to tow horses. No. True. Um, but, I mean. Well, they, yeah. I mean, but, but there's image. They I mean, tow, pull, they could put hay in the back, though. Right, and then that's yeah. what I'm getting. But, but, I think but, but, a kayak but, or a paddleboard. Absolutely, board. absolutely. Yeah. But, but the other pieces, you know, I, I'm kind of my, my senses go up when it's like marketing to women. Because, I mean, what you don't want to do is market this as a girly truck right. for women. No. Right. That's the worst thing you could possibly do. So, and I think I, I think I would almost find that a little bit offensive. Right, exactly. Market to what my lifestyle is, be it male or female. So, so I, I, I do think that this it would be a truck that would appeal to many women and many guys and, and to a lot of people. Um, but, but yeah, you don't want to go and make it the girly truck. And no, this <laughs> and I would say with the Tan Oak or the Ranger, the smaller pickups, they even take away a little bit of the, the high step in height, all right. of the, right. you know, the parking issues, maneuvering such well, a big vehicle. They take that away one step more. And you this, still get your utility. This is a, this would be a car-based truck, like yep. uh, like right. a pickup, like uh, like a Honda Ridgeline, and right. I mean that's clearly yes. who they would be trying to compete against. Sure. Jake, should Volkswagen build this truck, and uh, you know what would be, you know, how much would it cost to, you know, retool the Atlas, you know, SUV to to build this, you know, basically put a pickup bed on the back? Well, I mean, look, I mean, it's up to them, obviously, right. and, and you know, I mean, it's, it's again, it's like the Honda Ridgeline. Would you so, like I to mean, see it? I, I would love to see it. I would love to see it. And I'm, I'm, I'll be honest, I'm not a pickup truck guy. And the reason is it's usually too much capability of what I need. Right. Um, but, you know, I do like the Ridgeline. And I do like, you know, throwing the snowboards in there and the mountain bikes in right. there and whatever. You know, I could, I could tow my race car with it, you know. I mean, it's, right. it's enough. Do you, it's I don't enough. have the horses. Do you think 15 years from now we could be seeing a lot more car-based pickups <clears> instead <throat> well, of, you know, instead of the, the regular traditional, you know, uh, body on frame pickup. I actually think it's inevitable, and yeah. I think the Ridgeline was ahead of its time. And I, I think it's it's just what we saw with SUVs. I mean, for so many years, you know, uh, those aren't real SUVs, and right, and right, you know, right. the Explorer yeah. was still a truck based vehicle for for so long, and now. You know, it's a thing of the past. They're right. all car-based. There's, there's none of that. You know, we need a real four-wheel no. drive system. Yeah. No, because these are vehicles that appeal to people. So I think we'll get there. I don't know how quickly we'll get there, but I think that's where the market's going to go. Okay. And that's what Volkswagen's gauging. Yeah. All <laughs> yeah. right. Well, that's going to do it for this episode. Uh, if you want to learn more about the cars that we talked about in the show, click on the links in the show notes below. As always, thanks for watching, and we'll see you next week.